This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 194. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Welcome to the tricky season. Welcome to the scary season. Welcome to Halloween season. And this Halloween, you know now is a time to stay vigilant. I want to tell all the moms, all the dads, Halloween is around the corner. And now they got so smooth with this fentanyl, they're dressing it to look like candy. So as you do it, taking your kids out, be very vigilant of what your kid is putting in their mouth. Because China, who's not your friend either, but they all cousin up to China like China loved them. They haven't heard hell China accountable for this pandemic, have they? They're too afraid to hold them up unaccountable. Wow. Now that is scary. Very scary. That's former football player Herschel Walker, who is now a contender for the United States Senate seat in Georgia. It's scary to even say that. And it's scary to hear him speak. Very scary. That clip was him continuing to spread a conspiracy theory that Halloween candy is going to be handed to our kids with fentanyl inside. If you don't know, Fentanyl is a synthetic opioid that's about 50 times stronger than heroin and 100 times stronger than morphine. And Walker is about 500 times stupider than any other candidate we've ever seen. Joel Best is a sociology and criminal justice professor at the University of Delaware who spent decades studying the scare of tainted Halloween treats. And he spoke to USA Today and he said, this is idiotic. Nobody's going to give it away to small children. Almost everything Herschel Walker says is idiotic. And no, fentanyl going into your kids' mini Snickers this Halloween is not something you should be scared about. But Herschel Walker becoming the next senator from Georgia is something you should be scared about. Because it could happen. Despite his amazing level of ignorance, stupidity, and hackery, He's neck and neck with incumbent Raphael Warnock in Georgia. That's how bad things are for Democrats in places like Georgia. And that's how scary this political season is. From the land of Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania, to the wild and weird world of Herschel Walker in Georgia, to the creepy crawly behavior of Mike Lee cozying up to Putin out in Utah, this is a uniquely scary Halloween season. It's definitely a time to be on guard this Halloween, but not against fentanyl and your kids' candy, not against migrants pretending to be kids and stealing candy or secretly voting. No, the frightening thing that is everywhere this Halloween, from the debate stage to your neighbor's house, 
The thing that you really need to guard against this Halloween is, of course, the stupid. The stupid is all over the place this season, like candy corn in the bottom of your Halloween bag. Everyone hands it out. Some people say they love it, but they don't. And it's an outdated and disgusting relic from a time long past, and it will just not go away. The stupid is everywhere this scary season. And it is scary season, not just in America, but around the world. There are goons and goblins and real monsters, but there are also real life superheroes heroes and helpers who are rising to this scary moment, even when stakes are this high. Stakes are high, crazy high. This Halloween, they're scary high. They're high in Iran where brave protesters continue to burn their hijabs, cut their hair, fight the power, and fuel a revolution. But they're not scared. And in Ukraine, where Putin is now bombing power plants, trying to send Ukraine into darkness and without power as the frigid winter approaches. But they're not scared. And in the UK, Liz Trust has now resigned as Conservative Party leader and British Prime Minister after just six weeks in office, again, disrupting the government of arguably our most important ally, something Putin is loving, because he's not scared, and our enemies are celebrating. And here in the U.S., where the Department of Justice announced unsealed charges against two Chinese intelligence officers who were allegedly working to obstruct the DOJ's investigation of the telecommunications giant Huawei. This case was one of three that the DOJ has now unsealed against 13 individuals associated with the Chinese government, 11 of which are intelligence officers. And it was a painful and scary reminder that Russia isn't the real big dog threat to the U.S. on the global threat landscape. And China is happy to watch us punch it out with Putin and ourselves while they continue to build their influence and resources worldwide. Our enemies are celebrating, and China is one that we should all be more scared of. And in St. Louis this week, in America, it happened again. The thing you should really be scared about this Halloween for your kids, another shooting, another one, a 19-year-old with an AR-15 and 600 rounds of ammo murdered a teacher and a 15-year-old girl. And in a note he left behind, The young shooter said he had no friends, no family, no girlfriend, and a life of isolation. He was scared. And he's not alone. And we should all be scared of more shooters like him. Meanwhile, our politicians are not scared of consequences from voters or from anyone. You see that in the incredible arrogance of politicians like Florida Senator Marco Rubio and Texas Governor Greg Abbott or jackass Texas Senator Ted Cruz, who was not scared enough that he went to a playoff game at Yankee Stadium last week. Now, if he had any sense, he would have been scared because anyone who wears opposing colors at Yankee Stadium in the Bronx is going to get some friction. 
But few people get the full force of New York unloaded on them like Ted Cruz did here. Yeah, we got swept on the field by the Astros, but nobody beats New York when it comes to heckling cowardly hack politicians. And Ted Cruz can try to play it off, but if you watch the video, you can see in his eyes that he's scared. And he should be, because you don't want to be on the wrong side of the American people who care, who read the news, who vote, the ones that organize and mobilize and aren't afraid to get in your face. Adidas found that out this week, and they should have been scared. The shoemaker had a massive deal with anti-Semitic bullshit peddler Kanye West. But it took the fear of watching their stock price drop over 15% before they finally dropped Kanye. They got scared of the money they were going to lose, and that's when they finally acted. And I don't think we're going to see too many Kanye costumes this Halloween, except maybe at the Mar-a-Lago Halloween party. And maybe Elon Musk will be there. And he can hang out with Tom Brady, who is as close to being a patriot as Elon Musk will ever get, because he continues to play patty cake with Putin and to fail to appreciate the country that made his ridiculous wealth possible. So if you want to be something unique for Halloween that'll really scare people, go as Elon Musk, Putin sympathizer, or go as Ted Cruz, or go as Herschel Walker. Or go as Pennsylvania Senator Pat Toomey, who tried to block the PACT Act for vets. Go as a selfish, Putin-appeasing asshole. I drive really slow in the ultra-fast lane While people behind me are going insane I'm an Yeah, it's scary to think about what life must be like for those guys. Almost as scary as imagining them in power, running our government, deciding laws that impact the health of women, voting on whether or not some in our society can have the same rights as others, voting to deny the brave people of Ukraine the support they need to hold off the scariest real threat of our time, one that kills kids, rapes women, and bombs playgrounds. That's what you really have to fear this Halloween. Not drug dealers taking time away from their busy day to give away expensive drugs to your kids. You should fear that some of these political monsters will stay in power. Some will gain power. And in two weeks, we'll see which ones. And throughout this debate season, we'll have lots of reason to be scared. And we'll also see something that the two parties should be afraid of as the great fragmenting of American politics continues. The Great Fragmenting, that's what I started calling it a couple of episodes ago. 
And it's very important for us here at Independent Americans because the dysfunctional duopoly is continuing to fail more and more Americans. And more and more politicians are jumping ship. More and more fragmentation is happening and more will continue to do that. This Halloween season, more Americans are dressing up like, sounding like, and becoming independents. And the parties are scared and getting more scared. And they should be. And we should be too, because it's debate season. And that is really scary, especially considering some of these people that could actually get elected from both sides. And as you watch them night after night, and if you don't, I recommend that you do. They're on C-SPAN. They're online. You can find them. And get your popcorn. Bring your candy popcorn. Shit, bring your candy corn. But be prepared to be annoyed and disgusted. And so often, notice the glaring lack of an independent candidate on that debate stage. Again and again, across America, there's no independent voice on that stage or on your ballot. In race after race across the country, in all the races we covered last episode with Michael Steele and more. And it was especially true in the New York debate for governor this week. It's one of those many lesser of two evils elections. You've got Democrat Kathy Hochul, Andrew Cuomo's former number two, and an amazingly quickly unpopular governor versus Lee Zeldin, a congressman and a guy I've known for years that's one of far too many that used to be somewhat reasonable and then threw all their chips in with Trump and is staying there denying the election results, accepting Trump's nomination and fundraising, and playing straight out of the Trump fear-mongering playbook. And I talked about it last episode. Hochul had a healthy but shrinking fast lead over Zeldin. This is very much something Democrats should be scared of, the weakness of their brand, especially with a candidate that's still new to many, and especially with independent Americans, and even in a blue state like New York. Hochul is not popular right now, especially given the concerns from all sides about corruption and about public safety in New York especially. But she looked composed and experienced compared to Zeldin. Zeldin looked nervous, agitated, and lost his composure. But he's a veteran of Iraq, and he's still a lieutenant colonel in the Army Reserve, something he's actually not talking about a lot. And he missed an opportunity to elevate that part of his record on the campaign trail and in the debate especially how it could shape his approach to public safety. He also shamefully voted against the PACT Act for veterans earlier this year. And the debate was moderated by the great Earl Lewis, one of the best debate moderators in America. If you're a longtime listener to this show, you know that Errol Lewis, the great New York One moderator and journalist, joined us on this show back in episode 42. Check it out. He talks about what it's like to moderate these big debates and why he's good at it. But in the end, in New York, Hochul did well. For Hochul, Zeldin didn't really land any big punches. And in the end, I don't think this debate makes a difference. But the larger trend line remains the same in New York and beyond. But the struggle you see for Hochul against the weak, far-right Zeldin is a reflection of the overall weakness of the Democratic brand and of the opportunity for independent Americans. Partisanship is scary, but so is the lack of focus on the few independents that are running and the impact they're having. 
There was a lot of focus, and understandably so, this week on Pennsylvania and the huge debate between Fetterman and Oz. But something that got almost no attention is the fact that there was an independent in the race. And just hours before the debate, he dropped out. And his name was Everett Stern. If you want to dress up this Halloween as something nobody will guess, dress up as Everett Stern. He's the guy who may have tipped the election to John Fetterman. Right before the debate started, he announced on Twitter, I am polling around 3%, which places democracy at risk. In the interest of protecting the United States, I'm dropping out of the U.S. Senate race in Pennsylvania, and I fully endorse John Fetterman. The Democrats must win. Pennsylvania must be blue. It has been an honor running. He had a longer video where he explained more, but independent candidate Everett Stern dropped out and endorsed Democrat Fetterman. But if he really has 3%, it could make the difference if this race ends up as close as many as predicting it will be. The power of independent Americans is in effect again in the Pennsylvania Senate race in a big way. I broke it down on Twitter at greater length, but here's a quick summary in my view of how it went down. Fetterman really struggled. Oz is a terrible candidate and a hack for Trump, but he's good at TV. And Fetterman is not good at TV. And Oz was consistently on the offense, and he had Fetterman tied up and on the defense often. And I've said it before, Fetterman is looking like the Tua of politics right now. Tua is the quarterback from the Miami Dolphins that had multiple injuries. And the Democratic Party is like the Dolphins. Their guy is hurt and vulnerable, and everyone can see it. And it's obvious and it's hard to watch. Now, I'm rooting for both of them, for Tua and for Fetterman. But Fetterman's result is not looking as good as Tua's. Tua's come back, and Tua's winning. Fetterman might not. That comparison is even more fitting after the last debate. And in the end, that debate will definitely not hurt Oz in Pennsylvania. And if you're an honest Democrat, you're nervous after that debate, and you're scared. And it was a weird and wild debate. At one point, my seven-year-old walked in and he said, Daddy, who are these contestants? Then he went back to the other room to watch Wheel of Fortune. He thought it was a game show. When you watch these debates, it often feels like they're wearing costumes and playing dress up. But in the next few weeks, as election season ends and a new one for president begins, more leaders will emerge. And they'll try on the costume and they'll give it a shot because debate season is a wild time, a scary time, especially if you're in the leadership of the two parties, because the great fragmentation is continuing. And it's up to all of us to ensure that it results in good outcomes for independence, for the states they happen, and for America. Because one thing is for sure, no matter how this election season and Halloween season goes, the great fragmentation will continue. And that should really scare the dastardly duopoly of the two major parties. Yeah, it's scary season. Halloween is almost here. But there's nothing scarier than the political freak show unfolding before our eyes. And we're going to dig into all of it from what's next on the January 6th committee to the election season final stretch, to Putin's long game on Ukraine. Because our guest is in the middle of all of it. And he's wearing no masks. 
He could go as himself for Halloween, or as a freedom fighter, or maybe Captain America, or he could go as Iceman from Top Gun again, which apparently he's done before, or he could go as a fella, more on that in a second, or he could go as a Yevo, because we covered it last episode with Michael Steele. And the January 6th committee voted 9-0 to zero to subpoena former President Donald Trump. And our guest was one of those nine. He first joined us on this show back in episode 149 in January of this year. And he joined us again for a special Ukraine war report in episode 159 in March. He's a man of the moment in American politics, an Air Force combat vet, a political maverick, Illinois Republican congressman, and a fighter of the good fight. And he's been thrust to the forefront of America's consciousness in the last few months as one of only two Republicans on the select committee to investigate the January 6th attack. He's taken shots from all sides and he's fighting back per usual, but he's wearing no masks and he's ready to help us through this scary season. He's our favorite about to no longer be a Republican, maybe. He's Congressman Adam Kinzinger. Yes, this is Halloween, but be not afraid. We don't scare easily, and neither does Kinzinger. Even if the traitorous former General Mike Flynn calls for angry MAGAist mobs to kill him, and I'm not scared to ask him the tough questions. Like, what happens now to the committee? What's his prediction for Election Day? Where are we on Ukraine? Is he going to leave the GOP? Is he going to run for president? Is he going to be the latest congressperson turned media figure like Tulsi Gabbard? And how much does Senator Ted Cruz suck in real life? I'm asking him all of it. And before the potential zombie takeover in a couple of weeks, there's an election. And the potential of that is really scary. And this is a fantastic guest to help us break it down and break down a lot of the other frightening and inspiring shit that's happening out there. It's another important, inspiring and iconic American that's shaping what our country has been, what it is and what it will be. After a long run of professors in the last couple of episodes, this one's a change. He's not a professor. He's a pilot and he's a political high flyer. It's a conversation That'll help you get smarter, predict better, and of course, stay vigilant. Because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And Halloween is definitely a time to stay vigilant, especially this Halloween. So welcome to Halloween 2022. Welcome to the scary season. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 194. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it... <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. 
Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the world, an early happy Halloween. There are no shortage of tricks and treats happening in America and around the world and no shortage of drama. And we are very lucky and happy to bring back a returning champion, a friend of the show and a clarion voice for America in these precarious times. The great and powerful Congressman Adam Kinzinger is back on Independent Americans. Welcome back, sir. Thanks, buddy. I'm powerful for another what month? Two months. (laughs) Good to be with you. Maybe more powerful. When, when you're on, yeah, we'll you're un- unshackled. That's true. I've kind of been that way lately anyway. Well, I want to talk about a lot of things. I want to talk about January 6th hearing, Ukraine, Election Day, Independence, your future, maybe a little Evan McMullen, maybe Tulsi Gabbard. Um, but uh, to, just to kick it off, you are a new father. Uh, that's got to be kicking your ass more than almost anything else and hopefully more gratifying than anything else. Where are you and how are you, man? Yeah, it's good. You know, I'm home. It's uh, uh, being a dad's awesome. My wife's the hero because she she does all the hard work and I just get to play with him sometimes. But no, he's uh, he's nine months now. And, you know, so all that personality is coming out and um, it just it puts it all in perspective. And it, it I'm pretty stoked to have a little more time or at least I'll say a little more control of my schedule. And so, uh, yeah, everything's been great. And just uh yeah, trying to save the country while raising a nine-month-old. <laughs> does does he have a, a Halloween costume picked out yet? And do you? I don't. I that I got to think of it, man. I'm always a last-minute thing, and I usually just revert to wearing my flight suit and going as Iceman. But that's probably going to be done a lot this year, so I can't really do that. Uh, and we'll probably make him like a bee or something cool. I don't know. There you go. There you go. You got to raise the bar a little bit, man. The, the, you can't do Iceman every year, you know. I, I you know, I. I can't do Joe. The you know what I could do? I could do like, I could be a John Deere and he could be like a tank and I could just, you know, tug him along like you see in Ukraine all the time. See, cool. I knew, I knew there was going to be a Ukraine thing here. I mean, yeah, I, I, you know, I, like I can't it. be, I can't be Mr. Clean or, or Destro <laughs> or Joe the plumber every year. So you got to mix it up too. All, all right, right man, let's, let, let's get into it. Um, last week's, you know, enormous January 6th hearing, um, Hope Hicks came in to talk to y'all again. Uh, I don't know how much you can share with us. You've been, I think, rightfully unloading on the Secret Service. You know, on this show, we want to talk about where we are, but also what's next. So where are we? I mean, how are you strategizing uh, as a committee member and as uh, one of only two combat veterans on the committee? I think that's been an important role for you. But, uh, you know, what's ahead for you guys now? What, What can we expect? Well, look, I would love to have another year, right, of, of being able to investigate because I feel like it really, we hit breakthroughs around the spring. It's just the nature of investigation. We started to get more information, more people coming in. When we started having hearings, more people were volunteering information. Um, but, you know, the reality is we're, we're limited by the, you know, whether or not the Republicans win control by the uh, the limit that this committee ends at the end of this term. So now we're, we're transitioning to, um, to one extent, we can continue some investigation, uh, some interviews, but we're having to put out the report now and get that report ready for the American people. I think it's going to be a good report. I think it's going to be an important report. Um, 
again, as we still continue, you know, to, to figure out, we can find out the reality though, I think on the investigation in general, I think there is no doubt that this was, and there shouldn't be any doubt to anybody that watches this with an open mind, that this is more than just the day of January 6th. The January 6th was almost like, should be considered an afterthought uh, to the fact that there was so much corruption prior and frankly, nothing has changed since. This, this idea of convincing people the election was stolen. And so I, I look at what, what will be successful. Well, I, I think we've had a successful investigation. I think, you know, when my nine-month-old learns in school about what happened on the 6th and everything that led up to it, he's going to know the truth because I think we've debunked these conspiracy theories. Um, now that torch really has been passed to two entities, one is the DOJ. They're going to do their own thing. And the other is the American people. I mean, look, we can put all the information out there we want. If the American people look and say, yeah, we don't mind it. We don't mind an election being stolen. We don't mind pure power politics. Well, that's your choice. I mean, that's self-governance. But we've given you the information, the tools to say you should mind it. And by the way, the oath matters. You know this, Paul, the oath matters. And the only thing that keeps you from violating that oath is your own sense of honor. So that's where we're at right now is... Uh, it's so can you get can you get a couple more can you get a couple more of these you know it's a spectacle I mean it's an important historical moment but can you jam a couple more in I mean it feels like every time you you shut down you probably you know your inboxes are probably filled with tips and more information and you continue to 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 talk to people can you do you know one or two more of these high profile uh hearings and then what's the unveiling of the report going to be like I mean that that, that's going to be a hell of a show. Um, but what is that unveiling going to be like? Yeah. So uh, a lot of that we're still trying to figure out in terms of the unveiling. Our focus is putting a good product out. Um, I, I don't I don't personally predict there's going to be any more hearings. There may be if we get, again, information that we think it's imperative to get out right now. Um, but uh, right now, as we put together this, I, I think you'll see it the, sometime in early December, probably the report is ready. And uh, we may have a meeting or a hearing around that. But again, I think, you know, the hearings this summer were so successful. And I, if there's one regret I have, and I don't think it's anything we could have changed, but is making the point when they were done of like, look, there is a lot of evidence here. This is on you now. We can keep putting on, a, uh, you know, some more information, showing you more stuff. But this is your decision. Well, is, is, there, a, is there a lame duck I don't give a fuck anymore uh, opportunity here for you and Liz Cheney and others, depending upon, you know, which way the election goes. I mean, that that will impact how this is all received. So is there a unique opportunity in the lame duck because, you know, you and Liz and others know you'll be out of there? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a unique opportunity regardless. I mean, I've been I've been feeling like, you know, it's time to I've been fairly unleashed my whole career, but particularly of late is like so much is at stake. And uh, so, yeah, there's some opportunity. But again, I think I think the the this kind of grand finale that I, I people are expecting, it'll be either the report or frankly, it'll be whatever the Department of Justice ends up doing. You know, our charge is to give some recommendations to tell the truth. I think we shed a lot of light on what even the DOJ had no idea had happened. And, uh, you know, we just have to now go through this election cycle, regroup and figure out what's the lay of the land? Where are the, you know, what are people thinking? Where are they at? And how do we continue to fight to defend democracy? And, 
And I think there's a few unique opportunities out there, including Evan McMullen, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But just this opportunity for Americans to get past their division of issues and actually start this uncomfortable alliance of of defending self-governance. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, if the Republicans win, you're going to be relegated to some hearings in the basement somewhere, you know, by the minority, like the hearings we saw in the past on the Iraq war and things like that. You know, there, maybe there's an opportunity for the Department of Justice to pick it up. Maybe that's the hope, right, if, if the Republicans win the House. And, you know, I, th- I think there is there is a really, you know, you've built an expectation for a grand finale. Like, let's be straight here, right? This mm-hmm. is like the season finale of, of a great series, and everybody's wondering if there's going to be a new season. And I think we, we won't find out until after the election. But either way, you're going to be a, a star in this show. But let's t- let's talk about the election. Um, you know, you've been very involved with Evan McMullen out in Utah and with Democrats and Republicans. And I want to talk a bit about that. But before I do, what's your prediction? You're a strategist. You got your ear to the ground here. Do you feel like the Republicans um, are going to are going to win the House? And what's the Senate going to look like? We saw Fetterman battle Oz last night. We've seen some other races tightening. Not, not what's your what's your prediction here? Because I feel like you've got a sense of the moderate side of this country. You're almost like the I don't know, the legacy of a Chuck Hagel or a John McCain, Warren, the guys who don't really exist in the Republican Party anymore. But you have a unique sense. So what's your prediction? Look, I think it's going to be a Republican year. Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily going to be a wave election. I think the concerns with the economy, I think, look, let's be let's be critical of the Democrats for a second in their messaging. Um, Inflation is a huge issue. Uh, They're pretending like it doesn't exist. Um, the the border is a huge issue. They're pretending like you're a racist if you want to talk about issues at the border. I mean, one of the big things Democrats had going for them was uh, Russia and Ukraine. And I, I'll tell you, frankly, it's, it's crazy to me that the Democrats and I are now basically fully aligned almost on foreign policy because the Republicans have lost their mind. Um, but then you had these progressive members of, of Congress that put out this letter, even though they pulled it back that, you know, had to pair any aid with negotiations with a country that unilaterally invaded Ukraine. I think Democratic messaging this year uh, has fully missed the mark. Um, Yeah, you can go out and talk about democracy. That's important. But you have to recognize what's what's on people's, you know, on their mind first. So I think it's going to be a Republican year. I don't think it's going to be a wave year. And I think from a Republican perspective, if, if you're, you know, Kevin McCarthy or whatever, you're going to be the dog that caught the car. It is really easy. It's funny. When we lost the majority, somebody, I had a bunch of people tell me, including some Democratic friends, they said, being in the minority is great because you don't have to be for anything. You just have to be against everything. Now they have to be for something. They're going to impeach you know, Biden every week. It's going to be insane. But I do think this is going to be a Republican year, unless there, and I'll caveat it with, if there's a secret kind of that's not being that's not being noted in the polls, a turnout of, you know, folks concerned about things like Roe versus Wade. I think you, you, you know, you're right about the messaging disconnect and, and on crime, right? That's a big one that they've Crime's missed huge. on. They've missed on the, the inflation issue while Biden keeps saying the economy's great. We've talked a lot about it on the show, talk with Scott Galloway about how it doesn't feel great. I see prices going up. Everybody else sees prices going up. So it feels like they're they're dis- disconnected from reality. But let's talk about the well, can I can I I want to add to that because I, I sensed it when as a Republican that was dealing with kind of this rise of the the far right, and you know we would know that there was messaging we should be saying that's more uh, attractive to the center of the country, but you would always be beholden to what 
Tucker Carlson was saying, what was on Fox News, that kind of stuff. That is a little of the dynamic in the Democrats right now. The, the Biden administration mm-hmm. knows that they should be talking more about the border because the border is a mess. They know that they should be talking more about crime, but they would then have to face the ire of AOC and, and you know, some of those in the, in the progressive caucus. And so that's a, a dynamic they don't know how to take on or they're unwilling to. That's, I mean, people can ignore it. That's the facts. I think that's what we're seeing. We can always count on Democrats to eat their own. We can always count yeah. on them to shoot themselves in the foot on a national security or crime issue, especially from the progressive wing at a critical time. But I want to ask you about one point specifically. You know, you said, you know, the, the Republicans are going to impeach Biden. What are they going to do to you? Like they're going to come after you and Liz Cheney and they're going to want your head on a spike. I mean, you're going to be enemy number one. So what are you anticipating uh, they're going to do? They're going to come after you with. I mean, uh, like uh, my view on it is bring it. You go after politicians when they're out of office. At that point, you're just a banana republic with the exception of and I've said this a 100 times, you know, when uh, Trump was running, I didn't like when he was saying, you know, lock Hillary up and all that kind of stuff. It's what banana republics do. But when you have somebody that actually did attempt a coup on a country, uh, I do think then justice has to come forward. So if they want to attack me and Liz, look, we're ready for it. Um, I think it will show more of them because what is it you disagree with? The truth. Okay. Um, so I'm ready for whatever they bring and, uh, and we'll see. It could be fun. You know, Mike, Mike Flynn's going to invoke your name in, in, you know, calls to prayer and calls to arm and the attacks on the rhinos. I mean, he's, He's talking about you. And I think that there is a, you know, a unique element to that, a a scary element to that, a national security element to that. I mean, it's more than just about you and Cheney. It's also about, you know, the the domestic threat of extremism that they're they're fostering and they're going to look for people to target and you're going to be one of them. But, you know, you are fighting back. You've been out in Utah with Evan McMullen. He's been a guest on this show. We've covered that race at length. I think it's the most important race for independence in a generation because he can be the case study. If he wins, he's the king of the independents, not Andrew Yang or anybody else. So what, what, what's your take on how close he is? You've been calling out Mike Lee, I think, very effectively. Um, how close is, is, is Evan to winning this, and, and what's your prediction there? Look, I think Evan has moment, the momentum. So I was out there, I guess, a week ago now, and I, the energy for Evan is, is incredible. And, uh, I mean, we had... We did a democracy forum in front of 350 people. There were 150 people waiting in line for hours prior to make sure they could get a seat. We ended up with seven or 800 that showed up. People waited and watched in the overflow room. You don't find that for any Senate candidate. So there's a lot of energy, a lot of momentum. We are, he is up against common knowledge. Common knowledge says you can't win as an independent. Uh, common knowledge says Democrats and Republicans will go home. The Democrats did something very smart in Utah. They get a lot of credit for it. They did not put up a Democratic candidate. And they were willing to bite their tongue. They're not going to agree with everything Evan believes and does. He's, he's generally pretty conservative. But he's way better than Mike Lee. And this can be an example to states where it's not competitive in a Senate race, which is most of them, or a House race is how do we create this, what you and I have talked about, this uncomfortable alliance to defend democracy. It's not going to be comfortable to unite with, with reasonable Republicans, Democrats, and independents. Let me say this, though. If you're in Utah and you're an independent and you're thinking about staying home, this is your fault if he doesn't win because you have got to go and vote. And this can be an example of how to do you know, things right in the future. 
I think there's this, you know, great shuffling that's happening. I've called it the great fragmenting on this show where, you know, the, the two party duopoly is being challenged. And, you know, some of this with regard to Evan is not about Evan. A lot of it's not about Evan. It's about having a legitimate independent option. And I think that's a big takeaway here. If he has a national security background, if he has a CIA background, I think that adds adds fuel injection to it. But I think that there is an opportunity here for make the case to make the case that independents can win where Democrats can't. Right. They may That's not right. happen in other in places where they'll struggle, but in places where uh, where Democrats can't, independence may be the best option to oppose insurrectionists and extremists. Well, and, and I think that's going to be important. I agree. And let me let me say here's here's what we have to do. And I don't know how to do this, honestly, besides talk about it is kind of deprogram people from this belief that there are two sides to every issue. Let's take the worst issue to talk about now. Abortion. Right. People think there's either pro-life or pro-choice. The reality is, Paul, there's like a hundred different, you know, positions you can take on abortion. Anything from abortion to the, you know, day, I mean, you, you get it, all the different, you know, place you could take. We've been convinced there's only two. And so the difficulty with independence running is people will be like, yeah, I love the idea of an independent. What's your view on abortion? Well, I'm pro-life. Oh, well, I'm pro-choice. Therefore, I'm going to go back to what I know. Um, we have to get past that thinking and say, okay, we can have disagreements. There are different degrees of what we believe. And again, ultimately, people feel politically homeless. You can ask any Democrat or Republican, particularly Republicans right now, are you a Republican? Yes. Do you feel politically homeless, however? And they'll say, yes, I feel politically homeless. That's what an independent movement has to gain on, gain steam on, and convince people there's not just two sides to everything. Well, I've been focused a lot on it on this show, and I've got other projects in the works that maybe we can combine on to elevate this. But I think there's a key point that I've talked to a lot of guests on the show about that's missing, which is leadership. It needs to be clarified. The independent brand needs to be elevated, clarified, you know, compounded, diversified. Right. Like right now, it's, you know, by default, it's Andrew Yang or Evan McMullen. Right. And it's been Steve Forbes and it's been Ross Perot and it's been others. But there is an opportunity to redefine that. I keep using it as an example because it's powerful and because it may be legitimate. The Rock would totally change the way people look at independence. And he might actually compete if you put him up against Donald Trump and Joe Biden. You can't dismiss him because he's popular and he's got a, a unique brand of independence that would redefine, especially how a young generation that is declaring themselves unaffiliated and independent would understand independence. So let me take that a step further for you. I've asked you this every time you're on the show. You're going to leave the GOP now? <laughs> Look, I mean, I'm not ruling that out. I'm not really not leaving. Here's where I'm at right now. Leaving the GOP at this moment while I'm on the committee as a Republican, while there's this this kind of moment out there. uh, Let's be honest. If I disaffiliated with the Republican Party, it's a huge story for about a day. Mm -hmm. And then now you're just a former Republican independent. And it gives you less of a format as I think as a current Republican to be able to go out and say what's wrong is very important. But look, I let's be clear. I feel politically homeless. My whole country first movement, we're endorsing Democrats as well. And uh, so in all but, you know, I guess title, I would consider myself unaffiliated, but I'm not going to give them a victory that easy, at least right now. So that's it. 
watch this space, which is kind of what you've been telling me for a couple of years now. And if I were you, right, and I was building, you know, this America first movement and I was building a country first movement and I had, you know, an organization and I was in your spot, I'd probably wait till the beginning of next year after I was out of Congress. And that could be, you know, is is what you're building with country first an alternative to the forward party? Because we've been talking about the forward party and right now it's, you know, for better or worse, defining the independent movement. And I think it's the first wave of what could be many. So is there a world where in, in January or let's just say next year you say, OK, I am leaving the GOP and I'm starting my own thing. I'm running as an independent for president or something else. And you create an alternative for independence other than the forward party? Yeah, I think it's possible. I think it, it's not, I, I don't see it as any competition to the forward party. So what country first became initially was like save the GOP, and then it became like save democracy. And what's been awesome about it is we have, I think, something like 200,000 members now, 6,000 volunteers. I could go into this just like awe-inspiring stuff that I haven't done. I've been at the kind of public helm of, but this has grown organically. And, you know, calling out the toxic tribalism and all that kind of stuff. What I would like to see, honestly, with Country First is eventually, you know, let's take the area of crime or pop. Let's take wage inequality or uh, let's take uh, income inequality. People look and say, well, we should raise taxes. No, we should cut taxes. No, we've tried both of those. We still have it. There's an answer out there, Paul, that nobody's talking about that somebody has. What I want to do is harvest answers to those things that maybe not conservative, not liberal, because conservative and liberal were new at some point too, and create a whole new kind of philosophy. Does that then lead to a new party? Does it lead to an independent candidacy? Maybe. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's somebody else. But I think we've got to break out of the two-party duopoly because it is destroying this country and it's destroying people. And uh, so that's where I'm kind of taking this step by step. Honestly, I don't have a grand plan for me. Uh, I'm looking forward to having some time to be able to focus on this and, uh, and not be engaged in the bitter, stupid battles that we do every day in Congress. And we'll see where this goes. Well, I think there's a there's a future state that I look for and want to drive for, which is a place where there is, you know, there will be independent candidates for president. And they often get pushed off the debate stage. And maybe there's an opportunity to have an independent presidential debate. And maybe it's going to be you and Liz Cheney and Andrew Yang and Tom Steyer and Jill Stein and whoever else. But I think there, there, there needs to be that conversation, if only to differentiate and to say, you know, what does an independent look like? And what, can that sort out? And can there be a new alternative for people, especially in the presidential race? Because we know it's going to be Trump and Biden. We know it's going to divide America. People are going to toy with the idea. We're going to hear about Mark Cuban. We're going to hear about everybody else. But you and others are in a unique position. So I haven't asked you directly, but I'm going to ask you again. Are you going to run for president? No, I mean, that's not my intention in 24. I, I will never say no. But that's not what I'm. That's not what I'm uh, tracking for. But I'll tell you, here's a big issue. So, I mean, like I said, I'm not going to rule it out. I'm not going to say yes or no. Here's what I think is a big issue that independent Americans need to think about. That I know you are. Oh, things like rank choice voting are important. Ballot access for independent candidates. It is right now. If you want to run truly as an independent and truly make it on all 50 ballots. I think the estimate is something like it's hundreds of millions of dollars to be able to put together the infrastructure to make ballot access. That's insane. I mean, if you want to run in Illinois as an independent for Congress, it's something like you need 10,000 petition signatures of people that have never voted in a primary. 
Okay. To run as a Republican, you need 500 people that have voted as Republicans in a primary. The system is set up against independents. So that's something I think we have to think about pretty deeply. And so it may be a personality that has to come along and drive that. And then, you know, but people are getting fed up. I think we're getting there. Uh, but those are going to be some big, some big hurdles. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I've been banging on, on this issue and I, it's one that I think doesn't get enough traction, which is open primaries. We've had John Updike yeah. on this show. He's been making the rounds in the media. I'm working with him to try to elevate that issue in particular, because if we open primaries, we get tens of millions of people in the process, right? And you've got publicly funded primaries that are private and that are run by uh, the parties. You know, John says it all the time. You can't have um, one of the players also working as the referee. And that's what we've got. So I think open primaries and defending the primaries that are open, because we know the MAGAists are trying to close about 10 of them. They're under attack. So, I mean, that's enough for me to have one person run on that issue, because that I think can be even more disruptive than ranked choice voting, even more than a unique candidate, unless it's the rock. I mean, those are the structural strategic things that I think need to happen and benefit all Americans, but let me ask you. And, so, go ahead. Well, I'll just say real quick, Country First did that. We went yeah. after Madison Cawthorn. We went to defend Brad Raffensperger by getting Democrats to turn out in Republican primaries. So, uh, you know, you, you, I want to talk about Ukraine and maybe we'll finish with that. But, you know, you have a, a rising media presence and we're seeing more and more former politicians launch media efforts, right? And, and there's a lot of them who do this, you know, Crenshaw does it on the side. Now the, the latest, uh, you know, person is, is Tulsi Gabbard, who you and I have both known for a long time. She was on this show in the early days. You know, I knew, knew Tulsi when she was much more moderate and much more reasonable. She was one of the original co-sponsors with Brian Mast, the Republican from Florida, on the original burn pit legislation. She was good on, on veterans issues, but we've all seen this I don't know what this is called, this, this, this shift, right? This, I don't, you can define it, um, but she's going to build a media platform and she's got it and she's drafting off of the Tucker Carlson's and the Bonginos and all of those of the world. Um, is that a play for you to build a media machine that has traditionally been a con conservative model, whether it's Glenn Beck or others? Is there a unique opportunity for you because you're not a Democrat and you are a Republican to build some kind of a media machine? Yeah, I think it's possible. I mean, it's it's a lot of what I'm looking at now is how do I make the biggest impact? So uh, different than Tulsi, Tulsi does it because she wants to be known and because she wants to, to grift. She wants to make money. She wants to be a celebrity. To be honest with you, maybe five, 10 years ago, that would have been a drive of mine. It's not now. Um, but I want to look and say, how do I make the biggest impact? You know, is there a constituency for kind of radical independence? You know, there's a few of us like you and me that that would go well to that. But independents generally are not necessarily driven by kind of that emotional uh, intensity. Uh, I'll just say this too about Tulsi. When Assad gassed civilians, something changed in Tulsi because she started defending Assad, started claiming it was actually the rebels that gassed themselves. Uh, this this Putin thing, I I can't even begin to understand. She called me, she calls and, and Tucker both call me a warmonger. Uh, I don't know if they've ever called Vladimir Putin a warmonger. Uh, something happens to people where they get brain worms uh, when it comes to this fame and this making money. So yeah, maybe it's a play for me um, because I, I mean, honestly, we're going to have to play a different game to fight this emotion and hate and fear driven kind of culture on the right. But um, 
my goodness, Tulsi Gabbard is a complete fraud, I, I believe. You know, I, I had her on the show early when she was and I tried to hold her account on the Syria thing. And I asked her, you know, this was before she was full blown into it. And I said, what the hell are you doing on Syria? Where does this come from? And I tried to push her heart on it. And I think it, it's important to, to do that. Um, but she's also, um, you know, she, I, I don't know what to make of her anymore, but I, but I think she's become increasingly dangerous. And she's so against warmongering. Why is she still in the guard? I don't understand that. If she hates the right. war machine, this is a real rub for me. And one of the things I would ask her if you know, I got to debate whether or not I'd have her back on the show. But if she's so against this, how does she still carry a rifle for the United States military? That's where it doesn't click for me. And I think that's an inconsistency. And folks are even saying, hey, should should the, should we look into the UCMJ, see if she's violating the UCMJ as an officer in the military? These are the kinds of issues I think you and I uniquely understand. And we've got to hold her to account on because she's a step away from Mike Flynn. She's a step away from wearing the uniform on the campaign trail and saying, hey, look at me, I'm here on behalf of the American military. So it's it's a yes. dangerous component there that I don't think has been pulled apart. Well, I fully agree with you because look, it's it is, first off, she uses the guard as a prop. Let's just be honest, okay? Every time, when I go on active duty, I don't tweet and do videos from active duty about how awesome I am because I'm on active duty. Uh, every time she does some nice video about how she's out there with it, right? It's a prop. So whatever, I, you know, it is what it is. She has a right to serve so far, but it's one thing to say, you can't go after somebody for political opinion. If you're a Democrat or Republican, as long as you're not doing it while on status on drill status or on active duty. But what I did, what I'm curious about is, okay, when you start supporting civil insurrection, when you start supporting Vladimir Putin, well, you know, and I know that when you join, you have to swear that you're not associated with a domestic violence extremist group or you're not associated with an yep. international terrorist group. At what point do we actually enforce that? Because we're getting there. Yeah. I mean, how, how'd you like to be the E4 in her unit, right? Like, how'd you like to be an enlisted soldier in her unit and you see her on TV doing that and then she comes in for drill weekend? I mean, it, 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 it's, it's wrong in my view. And, and I think the military can't let this, this, this didn't used to happen like this. I mean, there's this wave and you're a part of it, right? More members of Congress who are still in the guard and reserve, Lindsey Graham, so many others that go to drill weekend and come back, but it's a very fine line. I got out. I got out of the guard because I couldn't do it anymore. And I was early in 2004, 2005. People told me I was violating the Hatch Act, that I was violating the UCMJ because I went on television and talked about Iraq. Those were the early days, but there's been kind of an acceptance of this that I think needs to be reevaluated. But let me bring us around the bend here and 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 take us home on, on Ukraine because you and I have been focused on it. The show is focused on it. Your viewpoint is unique. We were on, you were on, you know, earlier this year to talk about a no-fly zone. And now Zelensky is saying, again, close our skies. I feel like the country has sort of moved toward understanding a bit more why that's important. Simultaneously, we've got the progressives uh, with this idiotic, dumb, sloppy uh, concession. They want they want to basically appease Putin and then they walk it back. Like I said, you can always count on progressives to roll a hand grenade in the Democrats tent on national security, usually right before an election. So that's progressives being progressive. But there's also another piece that I want to ask you about, Adam. Um, Putin, this is Putin, this is Putin's game. He he knew that he could wait for progressives to start to come against the war. He knew that he could wait for Republicans to take back the House and maybe the Senate and start to weaken support for the war. He knew that Trump 
would election would eventually declare and would probably call for pulling back on on support for Ukraine. So if you're in Ukraine right now, you're nervous about America's support. And I think they should be. I don't think I wish it wasn't that way, but they should be. Can you talk about that part in particular? Because I don't think most Americans understand that Putin's been playing this long game all along. Yeah, Paul, when you have no value for human life, you're at an advantage. Okay, so Putin's advantage is he can kill civilians and have no you know, compunction about that. No concern. Uh, he also can kill as many of his own soldiers, you know, just throwing them into a meat grinder to buy time. And he doesn't care. Okay, so that's a bit of an advantage he has. He looks at this and says, we're going in the winter. Uh, America generally has a very short attention span. Uh, you can always count on, like you said, Donald Trump to come in and talk about how great of a man Putin is. And all this, all these cracks start to develop where eventually America gets fatigued and we get tired of hearing about it. And, oh, there's still a war in Ukraine. How come they haven't won now? By the way, quick message to anybody from the Biden administration watching. You guys need to get rid of the Jake Sullivan school of thought and actually start getting this war over with. Stop being concerned about escalation constantly and end this war. That's how you get past this. But that's exactly what he's doing. He's waiting it out. He's hoping this consensus goes away and eventually fatigue sets in. I think he's underestimating, as he has, the Ukrainian will and the Ukrainian people. And frankly, I think he's underestimating the will of the West to stay engaged in this. But that's the issue. That's what he's doing with nuclear weapons, is trying to put fear in us. Even if he does a tactical nuclear weapon, which battlefield-wise isn't actually a huge deal, it's, but it's, it's big because it's a nuclear weapon, obviously. His hope is to break our will. And every talking head out there that starts to sue for peace because of some threat, um, I, I, those people, to my mind, have a right to believe what they want, but they lose all authority to talk about how brave people were in 1939 in Britain to see the threat from Germany, because it was just as hard at that time for somebody like Winston Churchill to to say the kinds of things you and I are saying right now, because they were being called warmongers as well. Um, so this is the, the only way to beat Putin is to punch him in the nose. I mean, and people don't want to say, but the road to peace goes over Putin's dead body. That's right. Yeah, it, that's right. It has to be said like that because it has to be defined and it has to be clarified. And whether that comes, you know, from a Ukrainian missile or from, you know, a, 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 a Russian, in, you know, someone in Russia internally. I mean, this is not going to end until he's gone. I mean, yeah, maybe that's you can right. put him in jail. You can lock him up. You can send him to The Hague. But until they're completely out of Ukraine, which is possible, right? You've made this point. We're giving them enough to hold off the Russians, but not to win. And it's time to turn up that knob and, and give them everything they need to win. So to that point, is the, is the call a no-fly zone? I mean, can we get them Patriot missiles? We've gotten them a high Mars now. What needs to be next on the arsenal and what needs to be next in the policy push from the president? Well, so I've been calling for giving them F-16s, and we could have started training their pilots about two months ago on this. So in about a month, they would be ready to fly these F-16s. Uh, they haven't started yet. And by the way, I keep getting indications that the White House is close and then backs off, close and then backs off. I'm hearing it's Jake Sullivan, but it's somebody on the on the national security team. Uh, I think given the ATACMs, which is the longer range HIMARS, you don't give it to, you know, I think with that one, it's okay to say pre-approved targets will give you a limited number because they, they, they travel pretty far and they're actually pretty expensive. Uh, and I think we need to start looking at main battle tanks. You know, right now, right. Ukraine is starting to get a bit of advantage on tanks because they're capturing and destroying far more than the Russians are with them. 
but we can put that uh, to bed pretty quick as well as, of course, air defense. Their air defense capability is getting better. Um, I don't know the technicality. Some Navy guy probably knows this better, but like the CRAM system, the, mm-hmm. the phalanx, can that defend against these Ukrainian drones? Uh, I would think they could on certain areas. And secondarily, we should be unleashing hell or at least allowing Ukraine or anybody to unleash hell on Ukrainian or uh, Iranian drone operators in Crimea. Let me ask you this. The legacy of Jake Sullivan is worrying about optics and getting the battlefield wrong, right? Like that's going to be the legacy here. How does this guy still have a job and why has nobody called for Jake Sullivan to be fired, especially after Afghanistan? I don't know. Maybe you've called for it and I haven't seen it, but why not call for this guy to be fired since he's at the epicenter of all of this? Yeah, I think it's true. I haven't called for it officially, um, and and it may be worth doing. I'm not sure how many people know who he is, even. But yeah, that's what Afghanistan is. That was, you know, yes. that's his legacy, which I'm bitter about. As you are, um, and and Russia. Look, the, the Biden administration's done a good job on Russia. I don't mean to, to shed light on, but they have lived in this fear of escalation continually. And I think it has drugged this war out longer, further, and more violent than it should be. And so I hope he changes his mind. I, I, I uh, but we'll see. We'll see. I, I think, frankly, the president needs to, if he doesn't fire Jake Sullivan, to start listening to some other voices out there. Well, it would help to have a national security advisor that served in uniform. And Jake Sullivan yeah. hasn't. And I, you can see that lack of understanding on a very visceral level. Maybe they'll consider you for the job after you're out of that. One last thing I got to ask you about, because if I don't, They'll beat me up about it, and I want to give them love. The fellas, the fellas are everywhere. You're a fella. You've got your, you know, awesome uh, fella. We've talked about it on the show before, but you got, you know, the, the you in a in a in a in a in an F eighteen with wheels and a dog, basically a dog character of you. That's part of the fellas. Uh, I mean, we, you know, we joke around about it, but th- these folks are making a difference. Can you talk about that from your unique viewpoint, about, like what the fellas are doing that's actually mattering? It's not just a joke. Yeah, so NAFO, it's the North Atlantic Fellow Organization. This basically came out of nowhere uh, organically as a way to push back against Russians and Russian disinformation. There's a long, rich history in, in former Soviet bloc that like you, you fight propaganda with uh, sarcasm and with you know jokes. That's what this is. It's stupid dog memes that are hilarious, pushing back against the absurdity of what some of these Russian disinformation characters are doing. And uh, it is incredibly effective. It's amazing because as we fretted about how to push back on this kind of meme war that the Russians were doing so effectively, uh, the answer wasn't some CIA program. The answer was uh, some dude, uh, his name's Kama, who basically started this whole thing. And now there's tens of thousands of people that are members of this that are giving to organizations helping uh, Ukraine to win and uh, absolutely kicking the ass of the Russians on the information campaign. I love it. Um, shout out to the fellas. We'll continue to give the fellas shout outs. Um, I, I, if you got a minute or two afterward, would love for you to stick around for a couple of quick fire questions for our Patreon members. Thank you to them. They are like our fellas. But I think we got your Halloween costume, man. You can go as a, as a fella <laughs> this, uh, this Halloween. Right. Maybe we can encourage other people to do the same. I like it. I like it. Good deal. All right. Thanks for all you're doing out there, sir. Keep giving them hell. If you announce for president, come do it here first. Don't go on MSNBC or on Tulsi show. Come here and announce it if you're going to run for president. And thanks for all you're doing out there. Keep up the fight and stay vigilant. You bet. Thanks. Good to see everybody. Good to see you. 
All right, there he is. My thanks to Congressman Adam Kinzinger. And if you don't have a Halloween costume, maybe you can be Adam Kinzinger for Halloween. And to all of you that are wondering, no, I will not be dressing up like John Fetterman this Halloween. I'm going to mix it up a little bit. But you can mix it up with Adam Kinzinger if you follow him on Twitter. You should also check out his organization, Country First. He talked about it a little bit. Watch for his presidential run, his new media venture, or maybe a parenting book. Adam Kinzinger has got a lot going on, and he's got a lot of potential, and he's a patriot. He's a leader, he's now a father, and he's always a helper. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. The helpers are out there. Even in the scariest of times, we see it every day. So look for them all across the world. Some of them are out in the media making big swings and making big noise, but some of them are working inside quietly to make change, and they're winning. And I have an update from you, because our friends from Operation Liberty, Amy McGrath and Allison Jaslow and Lindsay Church, a previous guest on this show, from Minority Vets of America and other allies inside the Department of Defense, are making change. And there's very big news that didn't get a lot of coverage this week on abortion health care for troops and military families. This week, the Secretary of Defense signed a memo directing the Department of Defense to take a series of actions to ensure that service members and their families can get access to reproductive health and that the Department of Defense health care providers can operate effectively. This is big stuff, but it didn't get a lot of coverage. Highlights of the memo included stuff like giving service members and their family time away from work to make private health care decisions up to 20 weeks and to increase privacy protections. They're going to support DOD health care providers who are concerned with licensure or personal financial liability risk. They're going to establish travel and transportation allowances for troops and dependents to travel to access non-covered reproductive health care that's not available within the local area of their permanent duty station. That means if you're stationed in one state and you can't get abortion care, they will help you get to another state to get it. They're also creating a uniform policy that supports administrative absence from non-covered reproductive health care. That means they're giving them time off if they need to go somewhere else. They're also improving awareness about the resources and support that are available inside the department's comprehensive contraceptive access and family planning services. This is going to affect hundreds of thousands of people in the military and their families. And Lindsay Church tweeted about it. They said, I'm not really an incrementalist, but watching the system very slowly change is sometimes encouraging. I truly hope this helps some service members who have little or no access to the vital care they need. Lindsay nails it. This is going to save lives, and it's because of helpers like Lindsay. I tell you all the time, the helpers are out there. There was more news this week about another helper that worked inside the Pentagon that I want to make sure we take time to honor. There was some very sad news this week. Ash Carter, the former Secretary of Defense under Barack Obama, died on Monday after a sudden cardiac arrest at the age of 68. Now, Ash Carter's legacy is long. Nuke nonproliferation, MRAPs, which were critical vehicles sent in combat to Iraq and Afghanistan, he ended the exclusion on women in combat. He was a massive architect of the fight against ISIS. He created innovative collaborations with Silicon Valley. 
In his 2019 book, highlighted tensions at times at the White House in dealing with people he called staff munchkins there. I was honored to know Ash Carter, and he was a true public servant, a selfless leader, an innovator, and a very kind man. He always generously made time for me and for so many other young leaders across the defense and veterans community. He was a great American, and I want to send my deepest condolences to his family and staff, and I want you to know about him and to read more about his story and to hear more about his life. Ash Carter was a true helper. As I said before, helpers come in all forms and in the toughest moments, the scariest moments. We saw it again this week at that terrible shooting in St. Louis. One of the two people shot and killed at the Central Visual and Performing Arts High School is being remembered as a passionate teacher who loved helping kids take care of themselves. Teacher Jean Kuska was 61 years old. She was a helper and she was a hero. She taught health and phys ed. She'd been a beloved teacher for decades. She had a passion for helping kids and making a difference. Her daughter talked about how she loved to inform students about their health and being healthy and playing sports and working as a team. Jean played field hockey herself at Lindbergh High School and graduated in 1979. She got a scholarship at Missouri State and was on the 1979 National Championship team. And she found a love of teaching in high school as a YMCA swim coach. She once wrote, I believe that every child is a unique human being and deserves a chance to learn. I also believe that health is the most awesome subject in school because without your health, you cannot live to your fullest potential. In addition to being a teacher, she was also a cross-country coach. Her former teachers, her colleagues, her children, they all have come out to talk about what an amazing woman Jean was. She's the kind of leader you want raising and coaching and teaching your kids. Jean survived by her husband, Steve, five children and six grandchildren. And every one of them knows that she was a true hero and she was a true helper. They're out there more often than we wish they were and more often than we wish they had to be, but they're out there. So look for the hashtag, look for the helpers on Twitter and share yours. We need them, especially in these scary times. Share them and I'll share them with others. And while you're visiting us on social media, which I hope you do, play Guess the Guest every Wednesday night. If you need a break, click on over to Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, find me or find Independent Americans and play Guess the Guest. It continues to grow in popularity. It's all treats and not really any tricks. And some of you are going home this Halloween with a prize. A little thank you from me in your Halloween bag. And many of you gave it a shot. The real Dave Petrie from North Carolina had a guess. He said, I'm going to guess the almighty and powerful returning champion, F.A. 18 Marine fighter pilot, Amy Krusty McGrath. No, it was not Amy McGrath, but that's a great guess, Dave. And Amy is a fella like Adam Kinzer. So check out her fella and check her out on this show and in previous episodes. Follow her on Twitter. Amy McGrath continues to do good stuff, but she was not our guest in this episode. By the way, the picture is a dog uh, flying an F-18. It's kind of like Kinzinger as a dog. And I put that up and wanted to see who could guess it. Grace in Buffalo. Our friend Grace guessed Nolan Peterson. No, Grace, it was not 
Nolan Peterson, but that's a great guest. And he continues to do amazing reporting. If you haven't heard my conversation with Nolan Peterson on this show, go back and check it out. He came to us from inside Ukraine and he continues to be inside Ukraine with his wife. He continues to report. He continues to tweet. I check out his Twitter every morning I wake up to see what happened in Ukraine the night before. Close grace, but no cigar. And we did have a lot of the folks in the fellas community sound off, including Gen Reb New York or Facts Matter 202 from Langleyville, Illinois, who is described as an independent who expects more than conservative extremism from her country. I feel you on that. And I feel you getting it right because you said Rep Fella Kinzinger. You got it. Congratulations, Gen Reb New York. Also, so did not so little old lady or not so little old one from California, USA, who described herself as female, old, kind of creaky, army vet, can annoy, verify facts to change my opinion. And not so little old lady guessed AK and put a fella stamp uh, patch kind of thing up there. And you are correct. Not so little old lady, you have gotten it. And of course, you know who's going to get it. You know who had to get it. Our friend Delfino Sanchez down in Houston, Texas, from Aldine Tree Services. He said, hi, Paul. Could it be the great and powerful Adam Kinzinger? Then he talked a little shit. He said, I was looking forward to a seven-game series with the Yankees and proudly accepted your challenge. Thanks for last week's Dose of the Five Eyes with Michael Steele. Stay frosty, my friend. Well, if you didn't hear the last episode, I challenged Delfino to a bet. I was going to bet him something from New York, and he was going to bet something from Houston. I am proud to do a bet with him. He is like the opposite of Ted Cruz, but he won. I lost. The Yankees got swept. Houston thumped him, and I owe Delfino Sanchez a New York gift. And I thought about it. What am I going to get him? I'm going to get him something from Katz's Deli. If you don't know Katz's Deli, it is an iconic, amazing deli on the Lower East Side near where I used to live, and they had this great saying from back in the day, send a salami to your boy in the army. So I'm going to send a salami to you down in Houston, Texas, my friend Delfino. Congratulations. Thank you for playing Guest to Guest, and thank you for supporting this show. And I'm wishing your Astros the best, because I'm not really that big of a fan of the Astros, but I generally don't root for anybody from Philly. I kind of really don't care who wins this. I'm just hoping for a good series, and I'm hoping that the Giants continue to win and that they kick the heck out of the Eagles in a couple of months. But anyway, if you want to participate in anything we're doing, whether it's Guest the Guest or this community, go to independentamericans.us. When you're there, you can see video of my conversation with Adam Kinzinger. You can see video of all of our recent episodes. You can also go on over to YouTube and find us there. If you don't already, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you got this. And leave us a review. It only takes a second. And tell your friends. You want to give them a free Halloween treat? Send them the link to this show right after this. Just go ahead and forward it. Text it to them. Send it to them. Let them know they can be a part of the Independent Americans community. You can also support this show by joining our Patreon community. Big shout out to all of our Patreon members and to all of you who tuned in last week to the Zoom that I did with Ballot PA and Open Primaries. We had an event called Declaration of Independence. We talked about how veterans can change the country with your support. We talked about how 50% of veterans consider themselves independents. The great Rocky Blyer was on the Zoom, and you can check it out in our show notes. There's a link to the entire video of our conversation, but it was an important one. 
As we discussed in the last episode, Pennsylvania is one of two really key battlegrounds for open primaries this fall. Pennsylvania and Nevada. There's a link in the show notes. You can check out our whole conversation and look forward to more like it in the weeks and months to come. But thank you to all of you for continuing to help us bring the five eyes and all our podcasts and everything we do. Independence, integrity, information, inspiration and impact. We're thinking about making this show more regular. Sound off and let us know how you feel about that. What would you think about a daily independent Americans? Would you listen? I want to know. Sound off and let me know. And tell us what you like about the show. Tell us what you don't. And make sure you understand that it is powered by the Righteous Media team, who is all work and all treat and no tricks. Creative Chris Rosenthal, brilliant Bill Schultz, precise Paula Hernandez. Thank you to all three of them. And thank you especially to my favorite Halloween crew, my amazing wife and my amazing two little boys. I was working in the lab late one night when my eyes beheld an eerie sight for my monster from his Look, it's a scary time out there in the world, and in America. But Halloween is also a special time. And it might be my favorite holiday of all. Because it's a time of creativity, unity, generosity, and fun. It's a time to celebrate kids and the kid in all of us. And this one's going to be maybe the first real Halloween we've had since COVID hit. And that's reason to celebrate. I love the huge Halloween parade that happens here in New York City. I love the Halloween dog parades that happen here and in other places around the country. And I love the kids parade they'll have in my kids' school and in our neighborhood and in places around the country. Now, it's especially great trick-or-treating here in New York in buildings that have 35 floors. It almost feels like cheating, especially if it's cold and raining outside. But it's the one time you can knock on anyone's door and they're ready and they're happy to see you. And in that regard, Halloween is also the happiest and friendliest time of the year. Not everybody does Christmas or Hanukkah or Ramadan, but almost everybody does Halloween. And nobody does it like America. From New York to New Orleans to Vegas. Before I had kids, it was my single favorite time of the year to travel somewhere new in America. And now that I have kids, I love it even more. So be sure to tune into my social for my big annual family costume reveal. That's coming up. But Halloween can be a time of celebration, a time of unity, and a time of kindness. Especially in this scary season. And especially when things are the scariest, we're all in this together. And we're taking on real monsters. And we're acting like real heroes. And facing down the fears, facing down the scary, and making the bad guys scared of us. Fighting against the biggest threats. Russia, Trump, extremism, anti-Semitism, the two-party duopoly, apathy, indifference, hatred. But we can defeat those monsters. This season and every season. So stay vigilant, my friend, because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And no, you're not alone in your vigilance. We are all vigilant. And we're all in it together this Halloween. From Herschel Walker to Ted Cruz to Elon Musk. From Lee Zelton to Kathy Hochul. From Mamet Oz to John Fetterman to Everett Stern. From Ash Carter to Gene Kuska. 
from Adam Kinzinger and all the fellas to you. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you for listening. Down with Putin. Slava Ukraini. Stay vigilant, America. And happy Halloween. And you my graveyard smash. You'll catch on in a flash. Then you can mash. Then you can monster mash. Powered by Righteous Media.